Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, wherever you are across the globe, I am glad you are here. As you know, I have the wonderful job of interviewing everyday innovators from across the globe, and they are in so many different fields. Some have been in automotive aftercare markets, some have been in credit unions, some have been about kind of coaching and championship mindset. Set. Some have been um, solopreneurs in the design field. Like it's all over the place. But what's cool about it, I think, and what you've told me is that the common thread is they're all out there thinking differently and differentiating themselves and providing incredible, relatable value. And as you may remember, a couple months ago, actually, well, now it's like three and a half months ago, we made the decision to interview people who are out there really doing it. And that's you. So if you're out there and you're like, hey, tomorrow I'm an everyday innovator and I have a story. Go to our website, go to the nomination form, nominate yourself, nominate other people around you. We want you on the show. We can't take everybody, but we look at all of them and we try really hard to take as many as possible. And we do four innovators a week. So that's a lot of innovators, but there's a lot of you out there. So speaking of innovators, let's talk about Alan and his everyday innovator style so that I can welcome him to the show. I'm super excited for this conversation. So Alan is an instinctual experiential. So here's what that means. The instinctual side is all about a more circuitous thought pattern. So while most of us are A to B to C to D, he's like A to B to X over to Y back to A. But here's the cool part of that. Because of that, he's able to see patterns and insights and trends and kind of connect dots in new and meaningful ways when the rest of us don't necessarily connect or see. And he drives innovation in that way. And then the second part is experiential, which we actually have in common is our power triggers. And the experiential is all about innovation in motion. The thing you never want to say to an experiential is, in theory, that will work because we want to see things in real life because we innovate in real life, right? We need the rubber to meet the road to see where the innovation is. So the magic in the instinctual experiential combination is connective, tangible innovation. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm excited to dig in. Alan, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Well, my pleasure. It's so lovely to join you. I mean, I was excited for our conversation, but I was even more excited to hear your breakdown and analysis <laughs> how I did on that assessment, uh, which I really enjoyed doing. So I'm I'm fascinated by what you just shared and think I even just learned a little bit about myself, which is kind of Excellent. cool. Excellent. Yeah, it's a little so I, give and take. Yeah. Well, professionally speaking, I spent most of my career as a basketball performance coach, and I specialized primarily at the youth and high school age level because I felt that's where I could make the biggest difference. Um, and when I say basketball performance coach, I was responsible for players' um, athleticism, uh, their footwork, their strength, their conditioning, their nutrition, uh, as well as their mindset and approach to the game. Um, And after doing that for 15 years and having an unbelievable opportunity to work with some really renowned elite-level players and coaches, uh, five years ago, I decided to make the very distinct pivot to take everything I had learned from the game of basketball and those elite-level players and transition that over to the corporate space uh, where I now currently work as a keynote speaker and author um, and really translate uh, the message 
uh, and principles and strategies with the highest utility and show folks how they can apply those to every area of their life. So while, while your listeners and your viewers may not think they have a lot of, in common with someone like Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant, I promise you they do. And it might not be in basketball talent, but it's in how they approach their work and how they approach their life. I want to ask you a question on this because it's so funny. You read my mind. Did you see it on my face where I was like, yeah, but I'm not, you know, Michael Jordan. That's how old I date myself that Michael Jordan's <laughs> the one I go to. Of but, course. Yeah, but I but I agree with what you're saying, that it really is about the mindset, the work ethic, the discipline, like all those other things that get them to where they are that we can actually apply in our, our world. I'm curious, what's one or two of those things uh, that stands out to you as something that someone like me or any of us would go, oh yeah, no, I can't be like that person, but it turns out like that's the thing we really need to learn. Hopefully I was a little bit of security this question, but hopefully you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's some things that would surprise us and go, oh, I didn't realize I can apply that. For sure. Well, the two that surprised me the most, I'll just speak in the first person, yeah. was their relentless commitment to the basics, uh, to mastering the fundamentals. You know, when, when you watch a player like Michael Jordan, and I think we're of the, the same age bracket, you know, and you would see all of the amazing things he would do on the court. So many of those things were so advanced and so spectacular. But what folks don't realize is his obsession during the unseen hours was mastering the basics and the fundamentals, was learning how to do all of the little things right consistently, which then laid the foundation to which the rest of his game was built. So he, he didn't try to skip steps. He understood and respect the process as all high performers do. And they master that foundational layer first before they attempt to graduate. Uh, and then the second thing that, that surprised me, uh, because especially dealing in, in the world of basketball and elite level basketball, you know, how confident these players were, was they also have a tremendous amount of humility. And it's that humility that leaves them open to being coached and allows them to receive feedback. So as confident as those players are, even the best players in the game, to a LeBron James or a Stephen Curry, I mean, they understand that confidence is king on the hardwood, but they realize that the conduit to growth and continuing to evolve is being open to feedback and allowing those with expertise to coach you. And it's humility that allows them to stay open to that. Oh my gosh, thank you for sharing those two. And I just have to say the, the basics one in particular really spoke to me because I definitely tend to want to skip steps. And just get to the end result. And it's more, it's not because I'm lazy. It's more that I'm impatient. It's probably the better way to describe it. Um, but I have found that if I just really master the things that I really need to get my job done well, that's where the magic happens and the growth happens. And then I can get to the next level. Um, but we forget that, don't we? Like, I, And I think, to your point, we forget that across a lot of our jobs, not just, not just like being an athlete and having like, you need to dribble this way or shoot. I don't, I don't know basketball. So my <laughs> phrasing may be off, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. And we certainly share that. And you and I are not alone in that regard. I mean, I actually think society as a whole unconsciously tells us that it's okay to skip steps, unconsciously tells us that we should always be looking for a shortcut or a hack, unconsciously tells us that we should be chasing what's new and what's flashy and what's sexy and, and, and unconsciously tells us to forget about the basics. And I just know through my own personal experience, as well as those that I've worked with, that when you do those things, you're making a big mistake. And that's because the basics work. I mean, they always have and they always will. And, and that really is the first step to improving performance in any area of your life is not only admitting that the basics work, but it's also having the humility to acknowledge that doing the basics every day 
is hard. But the beauty in it is we have this kind of concept of compounding interest where if you just work on and focus on the basics just a little bit every single day, those little bits add up to a lot. You know, when you do something consistently, even a little bit at a time, you can you can yield massive results. So it's not that a player like Stephen Curry needs to work on fundamental drills for 10 hours a day. He needs to do it for 15 to 20 minutes a day, but do that almost every single day. And then when those those days turn to weeks, turn to months, turn to years, and then start turning into decades, that's when we're working closer towards full actual actualization of ourself and mastery of our craft. And if I hear you right, so your effort or the time that you might spend on the basics might change, but you never walk away from them. So like, and I think this is true in martial arts, which I have a little bit of experience in my past, right? When I, when I became a black belt, it, I didn't stop doing the first pumse. Like you still go back to the abuse, the basics of a front kick or something. And you learn something new every time. Absolutely. And even, and I did martial arts when I was a, a, a child, so it's been a long time, but yeah, there were certain fundamental principles. I mean, even the whole concept of, of being on balance, like physically, obviously, but mentally and emotionally as well. I mean, for you to put as much power as possible into any kick uh, or, or, or into any punch, you, you want to have a balanced stance, like a, a, a strong foundation at which to punch and kick from. And that is a basic component. As soon as you try to leave that and you start you know, veering away from that, then your efficiency and effectiveness starts to decline. And, and I know in my own life, anytime there's something in my life that I don't believe I'm performing as well as I'm capable of, uh, and I, do, I, I have some introspection and some self-awareness, it's usually because I've started to veer away from the basics. I've, I've started to unconsciously try to skip steps. So I just refocus that lens and I tighten those screws and I get back to what I know will build the proper foundation. So I love this as an exercise of wherever you are in your work and life, um, wherever, whatever area is not optimal for you is going back and saying, and focusing on the basics and saying, what are the basics? And just going back and focusing on them, even if you think you know them. Like, I love that idea of doing this as an exercise and just kind of mind mapping. All right, what are the, all the areas of my life? What areas maybe aren't working the way they need to? And then really focusing on the basics. I love that. Um, let me ask you. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Like even think just about relationships, for example, like even a, an intimate relationship with a significant other or a spouse. Like I'm willing to bet that, that we unanimously could come up with a list of five or six basics that, that helps strengthen a relationship. You know, something uh, like being thoughtful, um, being a good active listener, you know, prioritizing your partner's needs. Like we can unanimously come up with the basics and we do, we inherently tend to do those things very early in a relationship, kind of in the courting process. And then most people start to put on the cruise control and they stop doing those things. And then they wonder, you know, why 10 years later, you know, why does my marriage not seem to have the spark it had originally? Or why don't I feel as connected as we did when we first started dating? And the answer is because you're not doing the same things you were doing back then. And, and I understand people grow, uh, relationships mature. I mean, I, I'm not implying that day one and 10 years later are going to be identical, but usually you can retrace your steps, uh, steps see where you drop the breadcrumbs and realize, you know, I, I used to leave little thoughtful notes around the house to show her that I cared. I don't do that anymore. So that's why the relationship has changed. We don't do the things that we know we need to do in order to have fulfilling, in this case, relationships or be good at our job. 
I feel like we could have an entire conversation on the basics of relationships. <laughs> we'll do that as oh, a separate podcast. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'll come back on. We'll cover that yeah, for sure. no, I love it. No, I, first of all, just, I just want to say, Alan, thank you for like these incredible value bombs out of the gate. I'm glad I asked you the question. I know I veered us off track of like the questions I typically ask, but, but I, I love this. And I just, I want people out there and I, I'm going to start to think about um, where do I let resentment take over instead of going back to the basics? Where do I let frustration take over? And I think for, for a lot of us, me included, where do I let resignation take over instead of going, let me just go back to the basics and get back to it. So I, thank you for that. What, what's a, a recent win or something that you're most proud of? Oof. Well, there, there's two areas that I've, I've really been working to improve in my life. And you actually mentioned one of them, which we share is I, I tend to be very impatient. Um, I, I like things immediately and I'm really working hard um, to give myself some space and give myself some grace to allow things time to breathe and to, to exercise more patience. And for me, um, most of that has to do with learning how to be more present and be in the moment, um, spend less time um, being critical and judgmental of things I've done in the past, spend less time being anxious or worried about things that may or may not happen in the future, but learn to just be in the present moment and realize that things will unfold as they unfold. And the vast majority of things going on in the universe I have zero control yeah. over, Especially but what I do control, right <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I do control is my response to those things. So I'm, I'm trying to be much more deliberate and thoughtful in my response. And the other area that I'm really trying to, to improve and in both of these areas, I'm proud of the progress that I've made, but I'm not anywhere close to being a finished product. I got a lot more work to do is being less judgmental, um, judgmental and critical of myself, but even more important is less judgmental and critical of, of others. And, you know, we've, I believe we live in a fairly divisive society that's, and that's been heightened over the last couple of years. And I don't want to add to that divisiveness. I want to be a much more inclusive human being. And when I meet or talk to someone that may have a perspective that's on the opposite end of the spectrum of me, instead of judging them or critiquing them or trying to beat them over the head and convince them of my way, I try to lean in with some humility and compassion and lean in with fascination and just try to learn more about why they believe what they believe and do so without judgment. So those are two specific areas that, that after plenty of self-reflection, I've realized I need to improve in my life. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff Zoe is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. 
The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. You know, um, those are great. And I think important for a lot of us right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I said to someone the other day, I said, you know, I travel across the country. I meet a lot of people. I spend a lot of time in small towns, big towns, right? A lot of different people. I said, one thing I've learned over the years is that there's a lot of ways to be right in this world. And I think sometimes we think that our way is the right way. So that therefore the other person is wrong, right? And that's where the judgment comes in. So I appreciate that you said that because I've learned that, that lesson many times over. Oh yeah. Well, man, I'm so glad you went in that direction that there's, there's an inherent danger in labeling things as right or wrong and good or bad. And what you just said so insightfully is none of those things are truths. They're simply perspectives. You know, you and I can look at the exact same painting and see something very different. It could move us to a different emotion. We could have a different opinion on it. And neither one of us are right. And neither one of our perspectives is is good. It just happens to be the way we see the world. And we have to acknowledge that the way we see the world, first of all, is very limited. You know, we, I have a very limited lens on what I can see, both literally and metaphorically, um, but that my lens is heavily biased based on my race, uh, based on my gender, based on where I grew up, based on my age, based on every single thing that's occurred in my life has helped shape the way that I see the world. And first, I have to admit and acknowledge that, um, that I don't see the world in, in truths. I see it in my perspective. But then I also have to have the compassion and kindness to realize everyone else is doing the same. So one of the most helpful tools for me on this journey of trying to be more inclusive is, and some people think this is naive, but it's how I choose to look at the world. I choose to assume that every single person is doing the best they can with the tools that they have. Now, they may not have a lot of tools or or they may have a completely different vantage point, but I'm going to assume they're doing the best they can. So even if you, you meet or see somebody that says something that ranges from abhorrent to absurd, just yeah. know that they're still doing the best they can with what they have in their toolbox. And yeah. if the only thing you have in your toolbox is a hammer, then everything in the world looks like a nail. If, if you have several other tools in your toolbox, then you can have a, a much more you know, holistic approach to viewing things. And, and I found that assuming that someone is doing the best they can, assuming they're doing what they believe is right, and then leaning in with curiosity and fascination to find out why they believe what they believe, that has been an incredible connection tool with people that, that at face value, I might not even share a whole lot with, like we might not view a lot of things the same, but that's okay. We can still have productive, professional, civil, and respectful conversations just by, by coming to kind of those conclusions. So I really like that. I, I also think, um, I, I try to remember that everybody got to where they are for a reason. 
right? The, the experiences led them to their place, whether I agree with it or disagree with it, like something got them to that, that opinion, whatever that opinion is. And, and I think that also removes a little bit of the, the stress off of you just to be selfish for a second back. Like if I'm not angry at you for being wrong, then I'm not carrying anger around. And isn't that a better place to be? Oh my gosh. It's so much better. And yeah. And that, that's the other thing that I find fascinating when it comes to perspectives, we tend to, when we dig our heels in and believe that whatever we think is right or is good, it's an incredibly self-righteous point of view. I mean, what, what I need to be, what I need to be able to say to myself is if I have lived every moment in your shoes, if I grew up where you grew up and was raised by who you were raised by, and if I've read, watch, and listened to everything you've read, watch, and listened to, if all of your friends were my friend, if I've basically gone through the world in your shoes, I would probably think and say exactly what you're saying. It's very self-righteous for me to make the assumption that, oh, even if I had all of your background, I would still choose what I think is right. I just, I find that a very arrogant position and it's one that I've had for a good portion of my life and it was exhausting and it was futile and it did not lead to more happiness or fulfillment. As you just said so perfectly, I would be carrying around anger. You're the one carrying it around. That's a joke. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So why would I want to carry anger? Because I think you're wrong. That. It just, yeah, it's too exhausting to go through life like that. I'm totally with you on it. And I, when I let it go, I let go a lot of stress and a lot of baggage I was carrying around that didn't impact everybody else, just impacted me. That's the irony of it. I want, I want to ask you this because you had said like, you know, coming from a position of digging your heels in and like thinking you're right. One of the things that I have found is when it comes to innovation and change, which is what we all have to deal with right now, we all have to find ways to change in this next normal that we're careening into. Um, and there's still a lot of uncertainty out there is when we dig our heels in or come from that perspective, it's very hard to see, accept, or create new paths for ourselves. So to be innovative and because we're too busy digging our heels in and, you know, we've got some things in our brain that stop us from kind of letting new ideas in, but it makes it much, much worse. So I find that the people that I interact with that are having a really hard time right now, And I'm not saying they're not stressed out, frustrated with what's happening in the world. I think we're all dealing with a little bit of that, but who are having a hard time really changing with it because we have to, we don't have a choice. This is not a, like a luxury are people who are digging their heels in. So I'm curious from your perspective, how you stay open and innovative and not not allow yourself to get to a place of digging your heels in. Well, that part has been a journey because my heels have been dug in for a vast majority of my life. But as we just said, now I no longer feel this self-inflicted pressure to be right because I don't think there is a right. That's I'm getting rid of the entire construct in and of itself. I don't believe in, in right so or wrong, right. good or bad. And yes, I know it's easy to find extremes on something that most people could probably agree, but generally speaking, it's just perspective. And, and part of that, which frees me to hopefully welcome in new ideas and be open to stuff is, is just merely accepting. And, and we talked about this kind of earlier in the conversation is just an acceptance over the fact that I do not control what goes on in the universe. You know, it's not up to me what what goes on. Now, I have my preferences, and I would have preferred not to have gone through a two-year global pandemic, but I had zero control over that. Sure. What I did have control over was my attitude and my effort in response to the pandemic and how I chose to show up in every area of my life 
despite these outside circumstances. So what I'm really working towards now, and this is what keeps me open to change, evolution, innovation, is not letting the outside world affect my inner world, not letting circumstances, events, what people say, what people do, having that has minimal impact on my attitude, my perspective, and, and my mindset. And that means everything is coming from within and that's a much more empowering place to be. And when I can do that, and I don't feel this self-perceived pressure to be right or to be perfect or, or to control things that are out of my control, it frees me up just to be. And when I can just be, then I can be open to learn. I can be open to trying new stuff. And, you know, I mean, I'm a voracious reader. I'm a voracious podcast listener. You know, I consume content a lot. And a lot of the content I consume is stuff that traditionally does not align with my current belief system. I mean, I don't just reinforce the things I already believe. I try to read, watch, and listen to stuff that challenges what I currently believe, which will either do two things. Uh, it will either make me continue to believe what I believe even stronger, or it will open me up to changing my perspective. And both of those things happen all of the time. So I have a comment and then I have a question. I just want to make sure that we don't go too fast over what you said about moving away from the construct of right or wrong. And here's why. I think it's so powerful. And you said it fast, but it's so important. Um, so I want to highlight it for a second. I think when we get into a place of like, it's not right or wrong, it's different. We can be way more open to people, ideas, experiences. Um, you know, we're, I, I mean, this whole podcast, I feel like if we could put a label on the theme, it'd be like losing judgment, right? That's kind of what we're getting at here. But to me, that's, that is the fun, a, a basic, let's go back to the basics of innovation is being open to new ideas. So one of those basics is recognizing that there's more than one way to do things. And oftentimes I'm keynoting, I do this exercise and I give people this, it's basically a building exercise and I give everybody the same instructions, but no two table does it the same way. And that's one of the points I make out of it is like, we're so busy thinking our way of doing it is or, or has to be the right way, but look at all these other ways. They're also right. Nobody's wrong. So, um, but I think that that's what makes you, I think, I think if we could just take some time every day to intentionally remove ourselves from right and wrong and go, well, that's different. Let me understand that. We would be open to so much more change and innovation, and it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be as hard because it wouldn't be us trying to change our identities to like align ourselves with something we didn't believe before. Oh, absolutely! And and furthermore, when you believe the other person, when you look at other people through the lens of right or wrong, through through judgment, um, then as you just said, we tend to dig our heels in to prove that we're right because in that mindset and that construct, it's zero sum. And then as you also said so perfectly, if we believe the other person is wrong, we've now closed ourselves off from learning anything because we've already judged them. Same thing happens when we do it ourselves. When we believe we are right, that gives us this air of self-righteousness and arrogance, which is very off-putting to the world. And then when we think we are wrong, we tend to stack guilt and shame on top of that, and it starts to spiral out of control. So by, by removing these labels completely and saying there is no right or wrong, there is no good or bad, things just are what they are, and we can assign whatever emotion or feeling or, or perspective to it that we choose, I think that's so much more empowering and it's, it's a much more liberating feeling. And, you know, it's, it's, again, it's one that I'm, I'm trying to continue to work towards. Uh, I am not speaking from a place of mastery on any of this stuff. Uh, I'm a work in progress, 
but I'm very proud of the, the progress that I have made over these last few years in particular um, and look forward to continuing to stay on this path uh, and where this will actually lead me. So I, I just want to say to you, I am by no means perfect and oftentimes situational in my ability to zen and be the good person I should be in and, and or not and kind of leap, right? But so, but we all try to work on it and it's all, everything in life is a work in progress. But but I do think all of this stuff we're saying is what really allows us to grow and to excel and to move forward and to change. Um, when you think about innovation, Alan, in your world, how does that show up for you? Innovation can show up in a, in a variety of different ways. One, one word that that I, I think is very related and, and is almost a synonym, at least on the connotation that I have, is is creativity. Is is being creative, and I'm a huge believer that your outputs are directly related to your inputs and whatever it is that you're subjecting yourself to the people you subject yourself to what you read, watch, and listen to from a content standpoint, all of that heavily uh, influences your perspective and the way that you see the world. So for me, and, 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 and as a keynote speaker and author like yourself, my job, I get paid for the outputs. So in order for me to increase the outputs, I have to be very, I have to have high discernment and very diligent over the input. So I I use a term, guard your yard. Um, and I really guard what it is that I I feed myself. Certainly what I feed myself, you know, from a physical standpoint, actual food, I try to make sure of things that nourish my body and are good for me. But as far as the content and the people I associate with, uh, I'm just as protective of that because I believe garbage in turns to garbage out. So in order for me to heighten creativity and innovation, uh, I need inspiration, and I get that by learning from others yeah. and reading, watching, and listening to people that are doing great work. Um, I love the way you kind of started your show talking about the wide variety of people that you've had on and how many different backgrounds and industries they come from. I love that. You know, I, I found that even when I was in the basketball training space, I was constantly looking for resources outside of the game that could inspire me to then make changes inside of the game. And it's the same thing now as a professional speaker. I actually don't spend a lot of time watching other professional speakers. I watch musicians, I watch artists, I watch actors, I watch a lot of other things. And I think, what can I take from their craft or their method? And how can I apply that to what I do? And for me, that, that sparks innovation and creativity and it never stops. That's the beautiful part. It's a steady stream. You know, I mean, sometimes I certainly feel more creative than other times, but that's just an ebb and flow. As long as I've got this faucet on and it's a, a steady stream in this direction, I know that it'll be a steady stream in the other direction. I love that. We all need to work on just keeping the faucet on. I will tell you, so my favorite ones to watch are comedians. Yes, me too. Yeah. And, and part of what I learned from comedians is how to do my slides, because if you look at their backgrounds, it's all about creating environments. Oh and, yeah, yeah, and I and I, this was years ago that I like this dawned on me. I can't remember which comedian it was now, but I, he his background would slightly ch- slightly change relative to like the tone of the comic, like where he was in his journey of the of his stand up. And I was like, oh, I see what you did there, and it made me think rethink my slides too. You know, yeah. I was like, this well, is genius. I, I love that you went in that direction because the the two genres that I study the most are stand up comedy and hip hop. Uh, both are, are are art forms based on spoken word. But, you know, when you take a stand-up comedian, you're basically talking about someone that the only thing they have in hand is a microphone. I mean, outside of anyone that uses props, they basically don't have anything else. It's a mic 
Yes. And they have oh, to use their physicality, their, their tonality. They have to, to, to change their inflection, the, the way they say things like those are the only, those are the tools that they have to work with. And, and I find that fascinating to say the least and try to use those same types of, of, of tools in what I'm doing. But what I find really interesting as well, because, because clearly, you know, when we talk about perspective or we talk about right or wrong, there's a wide variety of comedians, you know, uh, some are very politically incorrect. Uh, some choose not to curse. Some cover very taboo topics. Some try to keep it clean. Some are observational. Some are storytellers. And I try to learn from them all. And even if I don't particularly like someone's comedy per se, I can still learn portions of the craft from them. So that's why I try to study as many different comedians as I can. Well, another time you and I can have a whole conversation about how I think hip hop is one of the most beautiful art forms out there, especially the old school 80s, 90s, like, again, dating myself, but it's a, they're telling stories, but that that's a different conversation. But um, bluegrass, actually, I know, I really, I have, a, I have a lot to say about um, hip hop <laughs> and its brilliance, actually. I love um, it. I, I wanted to loop back, though. I'm going to jump back for a second, because there's one last question I wanted to just make sure to get in before we kind of have to close out, because I can't believe we're pretty much out of time. We could, clearly, we could talk forever. Um, you had said something about keeping the external world out and kind of driving from the internal world. And I'm just curious if you have one or two tips in your work and what you've seen with both yourself and the clients you work with and champions, what are some ways to help make that happen? Because I think, especially right now, we are bombarded with stimulus. And whether that is media and social media and advertising or news in the world, it is like the world is constantly coming at us. So what are some tips that you've learned that when you start to feel it seep in to kind of stop that? Well, the very first thing I do, and this, this kind of goes with that guard your yard is I siphon off the points of what's coming at me. You know, I, I have systems in place that limit what I watch. Like I, I personally, this is just a preference. This is not right or wrong, good or bad. It is a preference. I stopped watching and consuming traditional news over a decade ago. Yeah, me too. I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't listen to news radio. That is a preference because I was finding that it was having a very negative impact on my mood and the way I saw the world. Um, now, I still want to remain a very informed citizen and be very responsible. So I have some sources where I can make sure that I know uh, who the president is and what month it is and what year it is. Like yeah, I can yeah. stay on point, but I don't consume that. Same thing from social media. Like I have parameters set on how much social media I consume, when I consume it, and who I consume it from. Um, so I'm, I'm very careful about protecting that. Same thing with the people in my life. You know, I, I want to attract people in my life that are filling my bucket, not draining it. And of course, I want that to be reciprocal. So if I find someone is constantly negative, constantly dragging me down, uh, constantly blaming, complaining, or making excuses, um, I intentionally find ways to spend less time with those people, if not cut them out completely. So the very first step is kind of insulating the sphere around you and doing everything you can not to let those things come in. Even doing so, there are still going to be things that come in that aren't your preference or that you don't like, like a global pandemic. Then I just put the, the, the spotlight on myself and say, okay, I don't control what's going on right now, but I get to control my response to this. And I want to choose a response that empowers me and moves me forward, not one that cripples me and moves me back. So for me, it's even though in theory, we have very minimal power as far as what's going on in the world, we have immense and unstoppable power in how we choose to respond. 
So I do my best to put most of my thought and attention and focus and effort into that. I love the way you said that. So that's going to lead well to my next question, which is, as an instinctual experiential, what's a piece of advice you have for other everyday innovators out there of all styles and backgrounds who are looking to be empowered and to, I love what you said about take control kind of from the inside out? Well, first is surround yourself with people that, that wants to do the same, you know, I mean, it is that old adage, you are the company you keep. And that's uh, truth. I don't remember who first said it, or I'd give them proper attribution, but it was, you know, Jim Rohn or Zig Ziglar or Brian Tracy or whoever said, one of those guys, <laughs> you, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, uh, regardless of who actually said it. I agree completely. So I want to be very careful in who I spend my, my time with. And I want to surround myself with people that are constantly trying to grow and better themselves and evolve into the person they're trying to become, but also people that care enough about me to hold me accountable to doing the same. So that when I have a moment of weakness or I revert to blaming, complaining, or making an excuse, or or I choose to show up as less than my best self, or I choose to let the outside world have a negative impact on my mindset, these people care enough about me to, to pull me out of that and to hold me accountable. And, and to me, that that is really, really important. So if, if you're looking to improve your innovation and creativity, then surround yourself with people that are also looking to improve their innovation and creativity. You know, any of these things that I'm striving to become, I want to surround myself with people that are on a very similar journey and path. Now, we might be on a slightly different grade and we might be on slightly different timelines because no two people are identical, but the intent of that growth is still there. And, you know, um, and, and know that, that you're not going to sign these people up to a lifetime contract. You know, the people that did that for me in my 20s, a lot of them aren't in my life at present now that I'm in my mid 40s. And I don't say that in a demeaning or diminishing way. We just kind of grew in separate directions. So, you know, not everyone in your life that's good for you is going to be with you for that entire journey. Some people are just meant to be in your life for a year. Some people for a few years, some people more or less, and that's okay. So look to attract the right people in your life and then also strive to be the right person in other people's lives, you know, where you're filling their bucket. Fantastic advice to end on, Alan. Thank you so much. I'm going to leave on a personal question, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you, a passion, hobby, experience? Most people are very surprised that I'm heavily introverted. Um, I'm, I'm not antisocial. I do love people. But being around people exhausts me. You know, when I step off stage and I've just spoken to 500 people, I'm physically, mentally, and emotionally drained. Part of me cannot wait to get back to my hotel room and sit in utter silence and have that solitude and individual time because that's how I refill my bucket. Um, but because I'm never short on words, because I love being on a stage in front of a lot of people, um, People just assume that I'm extroverted, but that's not where I get my energy. I actually get my energy from solitude and, and I need alone time in order for me to be the best father I can be, but certainly to be the best speaker, author, and anything in between. Uh, I'm hundred percent with you. And when I get on that airplane after speaking and the headphones go on, it's like, I just, I just, I'm not turning on the Wi-Fi. Like I just need to go away <laughs> for a little while, but, but to, I just want to expand that great insight to everybody else, I just want to say that, you know, find the thing that rejuvenates you and, and don't wait to do it because, you know, we live in a hustle culture, which I'm all about working hard in the hustle. I really am. But I know that 
here's my little secret. Like I did four podcast interviews this morning. So you're my fourth one today. Right. And all very different. You can tell every conversation is different, which is what I love about it, but you better believe I'm going to nap after this. Cause like, I need a moment, <laughs> you know, before I can get to anything else. But I, I think, you know, but you got to find that thing, right. That like works for you. Absolutely. And what I've learned is doing so making that time to figure out how you recharge is, is not being selfish. In fact, no. it's the opposite. It's selfless because it's what's going to allow you to then serve everybody else to a higher degree. So uh, if you happen to have another podcast interview later tonight, you're actually doing that person a great service by taking a nap in between. So I I do think in many regards, our society confuses selfish and selfless, where when someone takes the time for me time during the day, whether that's uh, to take a Peloton class or or to jump on your yoga mat, you know, you're actually doing that in service of others. Because when you do that, you'll be a better parent, you'll be a better spouse, and you'll be better at your job. So um, I'm very protective of me time every single day in, in order to be of better service to everyone I'm, I'm that I care about. I love it. Alan, thank you so fun. much for joining me. Just so full of wisdom and insight and just great conversation. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.